Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have that plan available on our website, grove.church. And we love to take your questions, so please send them in. There's three ways you can send any questions you have. Uh, regarding biblical topics or biblical readings or whatever that looks like, we would love to take time. You can send them three ways. One is an email. Email address is info@grove.church. You can direct message us on social media. Our social media account for Facebook, Facebook excuse me, is We Are the Grove Church in Washington State. You can DM us there, or our Instagram handle, if you're on Insta, is the Grove CH. Uh, go ahead and direct message us those questions there. We get them every cha- every in every platform, and love to take time to answer them. Yeah, we are closing in. Merry Christmas, by the way. Yeah, we're in the, the Christmas season, so well. Next week is our Christmas special, our Christmas episode. So well, you weren't supposed to. Those, anyways. Yes, Chris, uh, Merry Christmas. It's coming. Merry Christmas, everybody. Well, and next week, cue was, the Christmas music. The reason I was saying that is because uh, I will say next week we're going to announce the reading plan for next year, so that everyone can Whoa. get oh, can get moving on. Get ready, it. So get ready. It's going to be exciting. that way. You can download it and get prepared. So when the new year strikes, once midnight happens, because you're going to stay up till then, you can start reading the Bible right then. It's true. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, especially with, with you version, make sure you start on January 1st. Otherwise, your dates are off the whole year, and it's yeah. just, it, it throws you off. There might be a setting where you can catch up and change it all up or whatever like that, but uh, just be prepared for that. But it's coming. It's coming. All but right. Until then. Isaiah. Let's, we're, we're closing in on, no, we're not really. We're like midway through Isaiah this week. And yeah, we're halfway. We'll close it out, but it'll, it'll be good. Um, Isaiah, so 27, or last week we talked about 24 through 27. It was kind of this interesting, like, almost apocalyptic aside mm-hmm. in the middle of Isaiah where it's all really, uh, I don't know, it starts really dark where it's just like, yeah, Yahweh destroys the whole world. And Yay. then it's like, but hey, he, he consumes death as well. And then there's like, obviously like the, uh, the peace that comes through all of that. Um, but we're kind of, we're exiting that idea and we're jumping back into just some good old fashioned judgments on the nations, you know, <laughs> so or the nation of Israel specifically here. Um, in chapter 28, we get a really interesting judgment on the tribe of Ephraim specifically, uh, which is important to remember because they are one of the tribes not mentioned in the counting of the 144,000 in Revelation. So remember, there's 12 t- tribes of Revelation. There's 12 tribes of Israel mentioned in Revelation. However, there are 13 tribes of Israel because it's all of the sons of Jacob, pl- but Joseph is split. Yep between Ephraim and Manasseh. So those are Joseph's sons. Um, the reason we say 12 tribes of Israel is because there was 12, uh, there was 12 lands allotted because remember Levi doesn't have land. Their inheritance is the priesthood. So Levi doesn't have like an area within the nation of Israel. So when we say the 12 tribes of Israel as a, as a, as a country, as a way of saying that, that's saying the 12, essentially you could call them almost provinces or states of Israel. Um, but there was 13 sons in Revelation, we get 12 and Ephraim is not mentioned. It's Joseph and Manasseh, which is really interesting. And then Dan is also not mentioned. Uh, remember that Dan is kind of the first the first tribe to go full apostate in Israel. They just kind of go fully into idol worship, uh, not great. Ephraim kind of takes over for them after that. And so those are the two tribes that are left out. Um, but I think there is some, uh, hopefully some redemption there as well, because I think like Joseph kind of is a stand in for hopefully both tribes, you know? So obviously I don't think it's like, all of the people of those tribes are wicked for all time, but a bummer there. Anyway, sorry, all that to say, this is a judgment specifically on Ephraim, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, and then later in the chapter, Yahweh reminds its people exactly who put the cornerstone in Zion, which I really love because it's, it's, it's it was almost like Jobish, where it's just like, <laughs> yep, he's just like, oh, hey, y- you guys remember like who I am, right? As I'm talking about this, I love I love it when God gets sarcastic because He deserves it. Uh, and the people of Israel deserve it as well. Uh, chapter 29 describes the siege of, siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. Um, Ari- I had never seen this before. So Ariel is a is a word also used to describe Jerusalem. The exact mm. translation of it, we're not sure, but we think it means altar. Um, but because it's obvious when you're reading it, like, oh, Ariel is, is talking about Jerusalem, but they're not exactly sure what the word means. Um, but like so much of prophetic literature, there is hope offered at the end. Um, and then he speaks of Jacob no longer being ashamed when he looks at his descendants, which I thought was really interesting because obviously it's it's a uh, it's a poetic way of looking at it. But it is kind of sad to think yeah. about like Jacob, like the person Jacob being aware of everything that his descendants have done and watching the people of Israel just continuously forget about God. It's it's one of those, it's one of those crazy things. Um, it was brought up the other, I was watching um, um, a video on Exodus 
and talk, talking about that and it was brought up and I, I totally forgot about this, but um, the name of God is mentioned before God reveals it to Moses. And so the people had forgotten it. And so you kind of even see like the immediate history after Jacob and after his sons in the tribes when they're in Egypt. And it's kind of alluded to in Ezekiel, right? Because that was where um, in Ezekiel, he talks about even in Egypt, the people had strayed far away from God. So it is a bummer. But in chapter 29, yeah, we get this really hopeful picture of kind of the the person Jacob seeing the restored Israel and um, rejoicing in that, or I guess the person Israel <laughs> seeing the restored Israel. Uh, chapters 30 and 31 deal with the theme of not trusting in foreign powers, especially Egypt. Um, so yeah, I don't know, Aaron, do you think the people are going to listen to that one? Yeah, so. I think this is the final, like the final turn. We're going to see it. No, I'm just kidding. This is the bummer with doing a reading plan where it's not fully chronological because we all, we all know like, yeah, they're going to, that's the whole big, one of the whole big rebukes <laughs> that happens is they trust specifically in Egypt to deliver them from uh, Assyria and later Babylon and, Assyria, and Egypt is a, uh, they're a little unreliable yeah. on that one. So. Well, it's funny because God even mentioned that in the last section we read, right? Was the idea he's calling out the Israelite people for trusting in other nations. And mm-hmm. you should have come to me, not not Egypt or whatever. But yeah, no, they're, they're not going to listen. And it's hard because I, and I, I always say this, but I never want to look back at the Israelites and think about how we would have been so much better. Absolutely. Because if we're, if we're a small nation... And you have you're surrounded by great powers. Of course, you're going to try and make friends with those powers. Like if you're Belgium and France and Germany at war, you're not going to be like ah, you know, just you know, just bring your armies in. It's going to be awesome. Like you're probably going to try and side with one and, and so get true. and get some protection. Um, but it, it is a it's a failure of the people of Israel, specifically the kings of Israel and Judah, that they would not trust in God fully uh, for their protection. Uh, chapter thirty two. Isaiah brings the focus back to the Messiah, which obviously is kind of a theme. It's weaved all throughout Isaiah. Uh, and so we get this really beautiful passage. It's as, This is starting in verse one. Uh, Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. Each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like, a sh- like the shade of a great wo- rock in a weary land. Then the eyes of those who see will not be closed and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. The fool will no more be called noble nor the scoundrel said to be honorable for the fool speaks folly and with his heart and his heart is busy with iniquity to practice ungodliness, to utter error concerning the Lord, to leave the craving of the hungry unsatisfied and to deprive the thirsty of drink. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words, even when the plea of the needy is right. But he who is noble plans noble things on the noble things he stands. It's a lot of noble. Yeah, a lot of, no, not, a lot of nobility there. Um, but it is, yeah, it's one of those passages talking about essentially just the, the, the kingdom of God being ushered in. And again, you read these and you're like, I totally get how the Pharisees are reading some of these things and thinking like, yeah, this is Israel being restored. We're going to throw out the Romans. This is going to be awesome. Uh, Nope. <laughs> like uh, it's, it's, it's hindsight's clear in 2020 of what this is actually talking about. But um, I love the picture here of Christ, of, of the Messiah as King. I think it's really cool. Uh, later in chapter 32, there is a warning specifically to the women of Jerusalem who have grown complacent. Um, I thought this was really interesting because I couldn't remember another time. I'm sure there are. I'm sure this isn't the only one. I shouldn't say I'm sure. Maybe it is. But um, normally when you get prophecy, it's addressed to the leaders of a nation. And usually specifically it's men, right? It's very rare that you have a prophecy um, directed towards a single woman, much less kind of women in general of Jerusalem. So I thought that was really interesting and just talking about how um, as a people, uh, there were certain women in in Jerusalem who had kind of grown complacent. They had grown, uh, the the word there, I I read it, I should have written it down, but the the word for complacent is kind of the same as trust, right? So it's where, where God is rebuking the kings for putting their trust into foreign lands. He's kind of rebuking the people here or, uh, rebuking the women of Jerusalem here for trusting that things are going to kind of stay the same. So yeah, I thought that was really interesting there. It is really interesting. In chapter 33, it's a rebuke of Assyria, uh, who as Nahum especially tells us, will certainly not be escaping the wrath of Yahweh. And so, and again, we, I kind of talked about this where I, I didn't realize that this is a theme that's explored as much as it is in the prophets, um, but particularly it's, it's most clear in Habakkuk where that straight up is the central question of the book is how can you use 
a nation that's more evil than us to punish us. And then God's answer is, well, don't worry, they're going to get punished too. Yeah. Um, and so if you read Nahum, that's the book that's all about just Nineveh is going to fall. And that that's that's the entirety of it. But here in Isaiah, uh, we're seeing that God is, he's not happy with the Assyrians. He's not like, yeah, these guys are awesome. They're my new people now. It's, yeah. it's like, nope, I'm using them to accomplish. Will you accept this rose? Yeah, dear, dear people. Um, he's using them to accomplish his purposes, but he understands that they're wicked and that yeah. they will also be punished for it. So, and it's, it's hope as well in the, um, the justice of God. Yeah. I think in that poem, because I think sometimes we we say to ourselves, you know, vengeance is the Lord's or it's not on, it's not on us to create, you know, the perfect justice here on earth. We have to trust that God's going to do that. Um, that's easy for us to say. It's not often easy yeah, for us to, to live that way. Yeah. And I think it's also important to just, Remember, like, God even says, like, your ways are not my ways, your thoughts are not my thoughts. Like, we will not fully comprehend yet, <clears throat> excuse me, this side of eternity, why God planned and, and unfolded his will as he did. And and it's it's really easy from our from our proverbial high horse in today's modern culture to look at something like, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would you use evil to punish your people? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, he even, but he even does it in, I mean, go, remember Ezekiel, like, the simple fact that he chose Babylon to conquer Egypt as punishment, like it, it, he he uses who he uses to because at the end of the day, it's to glorify his name. Like he he wants his will to unfold, and so I think it's really important to understand. Like that's why it's so that's why it's so necessary to stay in obedience to to what God asks us, and mm-hmm. and and thanks be to God in in Christ, we are now righteous, and that's something in the Old Testament. Israelite people didn't have yet. Um, but it is, it's something to where we consider and be like, well, that doesn't, that's just not fair. I can't, I can't trust a God like that. Well, you don't really know him yet. <laughs> and we're not going to fully know him until we stand in eternity. Um, but it's, it's to be very careful. We have to make sure we're not thinking and letting the pride swell up saying, I know better, or I could do better. And, and if we wouldn't blatantly say that when it comes to God, but how we respond or reflect or react to certain situations we see in biblical context will indicate that issue in our own hearts. And so it's, I think it's important to be mindful of that. Oh, yeah. I think how almost none of us have ever in seriousness been like, I know better than God. Exactly. Um, yeah. But we all Agreed. live we all live like that every day. Absolutely. <laughs> it's well, crazy. yeah, I like I, I like the idea of salvation, but you're asking me to die tomorrow. No, I'm good. Yeah. I, I'm a, I like salvation, but I don't need I, I can live my life as best I can to be in, in reflection of that. But the reality is like, no, no, he wants obedience. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so, yeah, we won't blatantly say it, but yeah, I think it was the I, true motive of our hearts reveal it. It's always hard with like Martin Luther quotes. Cause like half of them are just like attributed to him randomly, but I think this is actually a legit Martin Luther quote, but it's talking about how, uh, pride is the sin that is pregnant with every other sin. And what at the, what the base of every sin is, is saying somewhere deep in our hearts. Yeah. I know better than God. In this. Yeah. Like I know what God I could wants do better. Yeah. I know what God I wants me to do. I'm not going to do that because I know better. Or so. maybe, and maybe it's not even better, but I'm equal. Yeah, that could be. Right, because that was even, wasn't that even the Satan's issue? I yeah. want to be like God. Yep. I want to I wanna be an equal footing. I want to rule like he does. Um, so maybe not rule over God, but I want to be an equal footing like God. Well, that's, so that may, that's maybe another nuance too. Like, well, I don't think I'm better than God, but I think I could do it better. Yeah, it's not, it's not just the sin of Satan either. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. Oh, absolutely. That, that's, yes. what, that's exactly what he tells them is that you'll be like And that, that lie was initiated by by the Satan himself. So, Classic. But it is. It's one of those things like in all of humanity, whether Martin Luther said or not, it's still a legit true quote. Like right. the reality of pride is is the root of sin. Um, so I'm thinking I know better, thinking I could do as good of a job. So anyways. All right. Well, we're going to jump back into Isaiah here in a second. But before we do, we just want to say, hey, you know, if you want to make this Christmas the most special Christmas for me and Aaron, what you could do is leave us a five-star review, specifically on Apple Podcasts, also on Spotify. But like, we just want to get Apple Podcasts up to 100. We're so close. Yeah. Come on. We're six away. Um, And at this point, I've just come to the, I've just come to, to the come to grips with the fact that we might not hit 100 this year and that's okay because it really has been an incredible year from all the ratings, all the reviews, all the comments to us. We just thank you for your your willingness to stop what you're doing and leave a review because I know it's not always intrinsic and easy, uh, but we just say thank you for that because it's, it's really incredible to watch. I mean, it's been the year of 100 so far of downloads and ratings on Spotify and Apple Podcasts is getting up there too. And so it's just been a lot of fun. So thanks for leaving a review. Uh, we'd love for you to continue. If you haven't yet, we would love for you to do the same thing. Yeah, it's been it's been really fun to watch the podcast grow. And and hopefully, and this, I guess to get sappy for a second here. Oh, um, this is where you cue like the, 
the sappy music. Yeah. It, it, no, it's been, it's been really special to read, whether it's messages that come in or whether it's reviews and those mm-hmm. different things, but people who just talk about how um, this podcast has helped them understand different areas that maybe they, they weren't getting with the Bible before, yeah. or it's helped them actually like stay in the word all year and, and things like that. It's, um, it's humbling too. Yeah. That is why, <laughs> that is why we do it. Um, and so thank you so much for letting us know yeah. those things and hopefully next year is going to be yeah. even better. Yeah. It'll be fun. All right, so Isaiah chapter 34, we're going to shift back into the destruction of the nations in general. So remember, it's not just, you know, it's not just Israel like we talked about in 33. Assyria is, <laughs> it's true. Assyria is going to get, uh, get a big spoonful. It's going to spoonful, get what's coming to him, okay? Yeah, a big spoonful of wrath. Um, and it is framed as a day of vengeance in 34. It's framed as a day of vengeance for what the nations have done to Jerusalem. Uh, and I think it's just important to remember because while God may be allowing all of this um, to befall his people. And then specifically, you know, when you think to like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where it's straight up the destruction of Jerusalem is what he is allowing. Um, they are still his people and he will be coming after their enemies. And so it's all, I don't even know like a way to describe it, but I guess it's kind of like um, if you're a dad and you're letting your kid lose a fight or something for some reason, you're punishing him, then you're definitely going to go after the people anyway. Um, that's what Yahweh is doing here is it's, it's clear that he is very disappointed in the people of Israel and the people of Judah um, for continually breaking covenant, for not worshiping him the way that he deserves to be worshiped. Um, But by the same token, he's not just going to sit by and let the people who have come after his people just get away scot-free either. So he's he's coming for them as well. Uh, Chapter 35. Well, I think it's important real quick as I'm thinking about it. It's it's not even... And this is pure speculation, so I want to be very careful. But there's part of me that wonders, I don't even know if it's like God, God's going to pay back their, pay back wrath for their wrath against God's people as much as God's going to pay back wrath for sin. Mm-hmm. And because those people are not following and trusting God in the way that they treat their people, his people, like I think there's that layer to it as well. Like it's got, and this goes back to what we were talking about right before the, the, the pause for a second was the idea of justice. Like God's just, God's going to. He's going to reward right righteousness. He's going to establish righteousness and he's going to remove sinfulness. Um, and he's going to conquer. He, we already know he's going to conquer. He conquered it with the death, death and resurrection of Christ. And there's one final judgment coming at the end of the end of the age where we get to see the new, uh, we walk through that in Revelation. But mm-hmm. uh, I think there is that layer to it where it's, it's God's on like say, hey, these are my people back off. Like the big brother who's going to beat someone up because they, they're picking on his, his younger brother. But it is this idea of like, there's wrath I'm pouring out because of your sinfulness and because of your lack of righteousness. And that's what I'm angry about. And then the way you treat is rooted in that too. So it's, it was just a random nuance that no. I thought that I thought. No, that's a great thought. So you're welcome. Uh, in chapter 35. So I, I love this idea of, cause it's a theme that's explored all throughout scripture, but it's, it's a promise that Yahweh will ransom his people. And the idea yeah. there is that remember back in Hosea, right? Gomer is, is gone. And to ransom something, it's it's kind of weird because we we use the word differently today. We use it on the we use it actually on the opposite side, where when we say ransom, what we mean is like you've taken something and yeah. you're holding it for ransom. Uh, but the way it's being used here is when you ransom something, it's that you pay the price that you need to get something back that you had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Hosea does that with Gomer, right? He goes and he finds her, and she's she's bent, she's a slave now, um, and he pays the price for her freedom and brings and brings her back. This is what God is going to do to his people. And so you see there is, a, um, and not immediate fulfillment, but there's a fulfillment that happens narratively in the Old Testament where what does God do? He brings his people back to Jerusalem after they've been, after they've been in exile. Um, but then I think it also shows, we, we get this really beautiful picture of the final ransom, right? When God ransoms all of us and we live in the new heavens and new earth. So we're going to read a couple of verses in 35. That I think are just really great. Uh, this is starting in verse eight. It says, and a highway shall be there and it shall be called the way of holiness and the unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up, come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be on their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee. So I don't, I, just, I love that picture so much. Yeah. Um, I also love the, uh, even if they are fools, they will not go astray because that gives hope to me. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Uh, but no, it is this, um, and we've talked about this. There's, there's glimpses of this in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, um, but obviously in Isaiah, it's a little bit more because we haven't gone quite as far down uh, the rabbit hole of destruction. 
But just this idea that even after God's punishment, even after like the worst things that happen, um, God never abandons his people. Yeah. They're, they were, they will always be his people. Um, and really the, the, the coming of Christ is the culmination of that promise that the ultimate show that they were never abandoned. So really cool. Uh, in chapter 36, this is where we're going to end up today uh, well, in this section, not in chapter 36, but we're going to talk about the narrative portion of Isaiah. So this is kind of, a, it's a break from the poetry. It's a break from the prophecy. We're going to get some stories about what's happening. Uh, and so at this point, Hezekiah is king of Judah. And if you remember Hezekiah, we rank him as one of the great kings of Judah, one of two, um, who I think, yeah, him and, a- not Asa, him and uh, Josiah are like the two great kings of Judah. Uh, and then Sennacherib is the king of Assyria. And so we get this, it's really interesting picture where uh, uh, Sennacherib sends a man called the Rabshaka, who is kind of like this spokesperson for the Assyrian empire. And he's kind of sent there to just intimidate. Like that's what, you get this picture that he's going, he's shouting in the city. Um, and he taunts the king. So he taunts Hezekiah, um, not directly to his face. He's taunting, I guess, the city. But he's saying, um, this is all paraphrasing here because we'll get to actual quotes here in a little bit. But, uh, oh, yeah, don't don't tell me you're going to trust in Yahweh. Come on. And like he literally says, like, what are you going to do? And don't let your answer be, we'll trust in the Lord our God. It's So that's it, it's weird to me, too, because he uses the name of God there. He doesn't say um, – the word there in Hebrew is not Elohim, which is kind of the generic name for the title of God. He uses, don't tell me that you're going to trust in Yahweh, our Elohim. So really interesting there. Um, he taunts him and says, hey, tell you what, we'll give you 2,000 horses if you can find enough men to ride them. So he's kind of like, hey, we'll give you we'll give you a, a head start on this uh, on this here battle if you can actually find the and, – and again, he's saying this to the soldiers and yeah. they know there's not enough of them. And so it, – it, and, and I don't know, I'm having a little bit of fun with this office, but this is terrifying. Yeah, like this, absolutely. This is the most powerful empire in the world. Every other nation around you is under the thumb of Sennacherib. Again, we, talk, we talked about this months ago now, but look up a map of the Assyrian empire under Sennacherib. It is everything except Judah is kind of how it works. And 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 now Sennacherib is coming for them. Um, it reminds me of, it's super dumb, but the mouth of Sauron in Lord of the Rings, where it's just like coming out and intimidating the people. And, and that, that is also a hopeless battle. Like it should not have been won. Um, you know, we don't need to get into all the Lord of the Rings stuff, but like they're, they're going to their deaths. And the people of Jerusalem here are surely thinking yeah. they're going to fight and they're going to die and Jerusalem is going to fall. Uh, he also claims to speak for Yahweh, which is a big no-no. Uh, I think the ESV study Bible- Not point, just in Old Testament times, in New Testament times too. That is accurate. Um, but the, the ESV study Bible point out, which I think is really astute, is that it's a breaking of the third commandment. Do not do not take the Lord's name in vain. And this is literally, he's saying, oh yeah, Yahweh told us to come here. And and again, he's using the name of God. He's not saying the generic title of God. Yeah. Um, he's like- Yahweh told us to come here and destroy Jerusalem. So we're just obeying. You know, this is our, this guy's, hey, listen, I know you worship this yeah. God. We we listen too. And this is what he's commanding us to do. So I would just lay down your arms if I were you. Yeah, just give up now. Oh, man. Dude, yeah, the, the Rob Shaka is a, uh, he's a real piece of work, let me tell you. Uh, and so some of the king's officials, they ask him to speak in Aramaic instead of Hebrew. So Aramaic is kind of the, the lingua franca of the day. Um, the way Latin was kind of the language that most uh, that you spoke internationally in the Middle Ages or English kind of is that today for a lot of the world. Uh, Aramaic was the one in that region. And so they're saying, hey, just speak in that. Uh, we don't need, you don't need to keep speaking in Hebrew because uh, you're scaring people, basically. Yeah. Which, you know. That's the point. Yeah, I think that was kind of a dumb thing to bring up because like, hey, whoa, 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 Rab Shaka, you're scaring people speaking in Hebrew. Switch over to Aramaic. And like, what do you think the guy's just going to be like, oh, dude, sorry, I, I didn't know I was scaring people. That's not my, that's, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so he does not comply and he goes full scorched earth. So this is in Isaiah 36, starting in verse 13. Then the Rabshaka stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. So he's speaking in Hebrew still. Uh, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Which, you know what? Actually, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> good, good, good good, job, Rabshaka. Uh, do not let Hezekiah make you trust the Lord. That's where he's, yeah, yeah, that's where you're a little bit wrong there. By saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own fi- vine and each one of his own fig tree. And each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take away your land, your 
a, li- a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered the land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? I love that line. Yeah. That's so good. So just, just to repeat it, this is the Rob Shaka speaking. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? The answer is no. Um, but it's almost like Yahweh's different. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, verse 19, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Seraphim? Have they, have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among the gods of these lands has delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And again, when we're saying the Lord there, that is Yahweh. So he's saying, who of these gods has delivered their lands out of my hand that Yahweh should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? And so not only is he speaking, claiming to speak for Yahweh, which again, big no-no, he's also saying, yeah, he's just like all of the other gods. Which if there's one if there's one thing that's gonna get under God's skin, it's being like, yeah, it's basically the same. Yeah, this, you know, just like Ra, same thing, Yahweh, whatever. Um, the Rob Shock is yeah, he's, he's an idiot. He's going full scorched earth on this whole thing, and he's just telling the people, look, your God doesn't matter. Uh, he's not going to be able to save you. No one is going to be able to save you. Hezekiah is lying to you. Lay down your arms and 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 I'll let you live, is his deal. So finally, the, the he stops talking. So which you know, good work. Yeah, finally, finally. <laughs> and 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 you know, he did the job that the king of Assyria called, had him do. So he did that well at least. But doesn't mean that he's not an idiot. Uh, Hezekiah is deeply troubled by the Rabshakeh's words, and he goes to Isaiah for advice. Which also, if you want a sign of a great king, right there. Yeah. <laughs> like Hezekiah was deeply troubled, and he went to Isaiah. So uh, use your prophets, okay? Like every uh, most of the kings had prophets. And most of them did not make use of the fact that like, hey, you know, this person, yep. the Lord speaks to them. <clears throat> Maybe I should see what they have to say. Uh, Isaiah tells him not to be afraid. Yahweh will orchestrate Sennacherib's fall in his own in his own land. And Hezekiah prays to Yahweh for deliverance. And he evokes the way that Sennacherib's vile, uh, he evokes Sennacherib's vile words about God, or I guess more specifically the Rabshakeh's words about God. But clearly like he's speaking for on behalf of Sennacherib mm-hmm. there. Um, I thought this was really interesting. It reminded me of David. Because remember, what's David's big thing with Goliath? Who is this who utters those words against Yahweh? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to make little? And so I think in, um, remember, Hezekiah is David's descendant. So however many greats, grandfathers, but that Hezekiah is in that line. And so I think it's cool that you get to see this in one of the great kings of Judah. Um, you see this flash of one of the other great kings and the only great king of united Israel. So I think it's, um, I don't know, it's a really cool moment there. Isaiah then tells Hezekiah that his prayer has been heard and it will be answered. The army of Assyria is ruined. So supernaturally, God kind of has inflicts massive losses on the uh, on the army of Assyria. They leave first. They, they, they're told that there's an army coming to towards the north. And so they leave to go take care of that. And the Rabshakeh is kind of like, hey, we'll be back. Don't you worry, Jerusalem. Don't, don't you be safe. And then they go. Um, they lose massive amounts of warriors, and then Sennacherib fully uh, goes back to Assyria, and there he is assassinated by his sons, and and, and one of his sons takes over as the king of Assyria. Um, and all of that is backed up by the historical record. So, obviously, the supernatural part of it, we're, we, we don't know, but we do know that um, the Assyrians, Sennacherib specifically, is on the warpath. Something makes him stop. He leaves Judah, he goes back, and he's assassinated. So, you know, it's... Uh, I mean, we said it before, but it's it's almost like um, Yahweh is the one true God, and He can do whatever He wants. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. We'll see if that keeps happening. Uh, and then I thought this was really interesting. I never noticed this before reading through Isaiah, but chapter thirty actually rewinds us. And so it, uh, I guess, I guess I just wasn't paying attention when I was reading it. I guess because uh, it's it's clear. It's not like it's that. It's a weird shift. Like yeah. you're reading, and all of a sudden stops, goes backwards. It's a flashback, right? And then right. comes forward. So we have Sennacherib is killed. The people of Israel are delivered. And then we rewind back to basically like the, the month before where like all this is happening again. Um, but now it we're told that Hezekiah has fallen ill. So we find out that while all of this is happening, Hezekiah is sick. Um, and Isaiah comes to him and lets him know that he's about to die. So he sends, he says, you know, the Lord says, put your house in order um, for you're not going to survive this. And so Hezekiah prays to God for healing. Um, which I also think is I also think is really interesting that um, Hezekiah 
calls out directly to God here and God answers. Yahweh hears his prayer and he says, okay, I'm adding 15 more years onto your life. And Isaiah delivers that message when he delivers the message that also Jerusalem will be delivered from Sennacherib. And so it's a really interesting contrast with the previous story because Hezekiah prays for personal deliverance and he prays for national deliverance and both prayers are answered at the same time. So Jerusalem is de- is delivered from the Assyrian army and Hezekiah is delivered from his illness. So really yeah, on a really cool moment there where mm-hmm. that's what's going on. Uh, and then finally, in chapter 39, uh, the we end the narrative portion of the book with an ominous look at what we uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna read this, but we'll we'll take a look at this doesn't bode well, I guess is the way to put it. Uh, at that time, Merodach Baladon, the son of Baladon, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and presents to and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly, and he showed them his treasure houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oils, his whole army, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in his all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, Why? What did these men say? And from what country did they come to you? Hezekiah said, They have come to me from a far country, from Babylon. Huh, Babylon, that's, that's an interesting little yeah. country. Huh. Wonder if that comes up later. <laughs> uh, he said, "What have they seen in your house?" Hezekiah answered, "They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them." Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, "Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which is which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left," says the Lord. And some of your sons who will come from you whom you will father shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon, which that's, uh, I always forget if it's Jehoiakim or Jehoiakim, but one of the kings, that's remember, it's the end of Kings where it says, and he's chilling in the house of Nebuchadnezzar and he's love and he's loving life. And that's the end. Uh, then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good for he thought there will be peace and security in my days. Um, so it is a bummer that the last word we get of in Isaiah about Hezekiah is kind of a really negative picture. Um, one of them is more understandable than the other, I suppose, because one of them is like, there's this nation, they're kind of rising in power. I want to make friends. And again, what is the big temptation of Israel? I shouldn't say the big, the big one is idol worship. But one of the biggest temptations of the kings of Israel, specifically in Judah, is that they want to trust in these foreign powers. And so Egypt, uh, God's like, yeah, don't trust in Egypt. And then all of a sudden these Babylonians, the Babylonians come and he's like, oh man, you know, a nation right next to Assyria, that would be pretty cool to have as an ally. Maybe we can kind of help each other out. Um, obviously I'm kind of projecting a little bit there, but he's definitely wanting to make friends with the Babylonians. Um, and then in a couple of generations, the Babylonians are going to conquer Jerusalem and they're going to be the ones who take Isaiah's great grandsons um, away. So really, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of... <laughs> It's just very foreboding, especially because yeah. we know what happens. And yep. so uh, we get this picture. Also, I think the one that's less understandable to me is that Isaiah literally, t- <clears throat> Isaiah literally tells him, Jerusalem eventually is going to fall. Judah's going to fall. Your sons are going to be carried away into exile. And Hezekiah's response is like, oh, at least I'm not going to be alive for that. <laughs> like, like, whoa, Hezekiah, like have some, have some forethought, like have some idea for, uh, I don't know, for what the future of your people is going to be, but yeah, we see a little bit of. I, I would still rank Isaiah. 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 Uh, I would still rank Hezekiah as one of the great kings of Judah. But you know, he's not perfect. But yeah. neither is David. So only he's a, not. He's only kid. our perfect boy Josiah is, uh, <laughs> and that's just because he he dies young. Um, but anyway, <laughs> he uh, didn't have enough time in his life to be able to to not have a big be failing. a bad king. Uh, to be clear, we don't actually think Josiah is perfect. But he doesn't have one of those. He doesn't have a big failure yeah. the way that the other great kings of Israel and Judah do. But I think that's a good point, though, is that his life may not have been long enough to have that moment. Right. Um, and so maybe God in his providence protected that, but yeah. I'll uh, give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, let's do that. So, all right. Well, before we wrap up today, um, I do want, so behind the scenes listeners, Aaron's forwarded me an email of a question and he was like, Hey, we should answer this because we got it months ago and I completely forgot that we got this question. So sorry, Rachel. sorry about that. <laughs> so here is, uh, <laughs> here's the question that we got. Yeah. Well, and it actually fits in pretty well because of the segue from talking about these Kings and how they ended and Hezekiah being a good King. Um, but she says this, uh, Rachel, thanks for sending it in. Thanks for your patience. Good morning, Aaron and Evan. It is morning time when we're recording this. So great. Uh, I remember listening recently to when the Kings of Israel and Judah were being ranked from bad to good. 
Yes, we do that pretty often whenever we talk about the kings. Good time. Uh, We often say how the lives of the kings may have started in a good obedience to the Lord and then ended poorly or vice versa. There was a thought question as to which mattered more, the whole life story of the king in regards to obedience to God or how each how did each king's life and obedience to God turn toward the end? Uh, and I vividly remember this conversation as we were mm-hmm. working through the Old Testament, working through Kings and, and Chronicles. And and I remember just like, well, wait a minute, like we should consider this. Um, and so that was the question you're referring to. Uh, and then Rachel sh- says this, she says, as we're reading our plan, as we're, as we're reading our plan, which is the plan we're talking through, I came across this passage in Ezekiel 32, 33, 12 to 16. What are your thoughts of this passage in Ezekiel and how, if at all, would that change your rankings of the kings? Uh, So I'm going to read the passage uh, and then I've got uh, a list of kings. I'll just kind of quickly, what I'm going to do is is just to give you, uh, dear listener, a little bit of insight. I'm going to quickly read through these list of kings and Evan's just going to give our quick synopsis of good, bad, horrible or Manasseh. Yeah, or um, Manasseh. Uh, and then, uh, and a little spoiler, Israel didn't have any good kings. But, so we'll quickly run through that list, and then we'll come back to the question here in a minute. Um, says this, verse, uh, Ezekiel 33, verses 12 through 16, uh, which we would have just finished reading a few weeks ago. It says, Now, son of man, say to your people, this is God speaking to Ezekiel, the righteousness of the righteous person will not save him on the day of his transgression. Neither will the wickedness of the wicked person cause him to stumble on the day he turns from his wickedness. The righteous person won't be able to survive by his righteousness on the day he sins. When I tell the righteous person that he will surely live, but he trusts in his righteousness and acts unjustly, then none of his righteousness will be remembered and he will die because of the injustice he has committed. So when I tell the wicked person, you will surely die, but he repents of his sin and does what is just and right. He returns collateral. He makes restitution for what he has stolen, walks in the statutes of life without committing justice. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, committing injustice. Injustice. Oh, I misread that. Thank you. I was like, that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, he's, he will certainly live. Talking about the, the wicked person who, who repents. He will certainly live. He will not die. None of the sins he committed will be held against him. He has done what is just and right, and he will certainly live. So the question is, based upon this passage, does it change the way we rank the kings? Well, I think the other important thing to mark is um, we we would also rank king. Ranking kings is different from ranking the person. Um, and the way, yeah, and I think that I think that clarity has to be made as well. Because I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that's slightly political, but I don't think it's like I don't think it's that controversial. Um, but if you're talking about like presidents of the U.S., Jimmy Carter is not gonna make it onto a list of like the best presidents. And, and I'm sorry if you're like a big Jimmy Carter fan, um, but like we just lost half our list. I know, I know. Just but kidding. You, usually, when you're when you're talking through like who are the great presidents in in uh, in U.S. history, Jimmy Carter's not one of them. Yeah. Um, but outstanding guy. Like, like if you actually look into like what, um, like the charities he's worked with afterwards, he's kind of devoted his entire life to, to trying to make the world a better place. Yeah. Post president Jimmy Carter. Right. And even like, even like the president Jimmy Carter was a good, was a good person, just like made some, made some mistakes. Um, I think there's other presidents who are like that where, you know, they're, you, you can see kind of the whole, the legacy of their whole lives. Herbert Hoover's another one, I think, where it's like, he kind of gets, uh, his, his whole life kind of boils down to like, oh man, he really botched the Great Depression, but there's other things around it. All of that to say, um, specifically, you can kind of separate the office from the person. So when we're ranking kings, we're ranking what they did as king. Um, but the nuance here though, too, is just to be honest, is, is we also rank them based upon how they led the Israelite people right. in obedience to God, right? And so where if, if you're like me and Evan's talking about all the presidents and or the, which ones are good and which I have no idea. I mean, I don't remember Herbert Hoover was over the Great Depression. Well, I'm, I don't, not, because, I'm I don't, not smart I don't, enough. I don't so. remember Herbert Hoover. <laughs> but you remember he was that. a president during the Great Depression. Oh, sure. I, I, pff, I, I can list off a handful of presidents and this is probably bad American, whatever, heritage, patriotism. Um, but I don't remember all those. But what, what I think is important to understand where I think that analogy kind of has a little bit of of, of – lack is these based upon my rankings when Mm -hmm. I'm processing through them, it's a matter of like, what are they doing to lead God's people in obedience to him? Right. Right. And, and so that's where our rankings with Kings kind of takes its shape a little bit more strategically than just what they did during the time of kingship. Yeah. If that makes sense. Let's get into the list because I have, yeah, yeah, I have some other thoughts, but I think it'll come up when we talk about certain Kings. Okay. So I'm just going to start from the very beginning. Okay. Kingdom of of Israel. This is before the division. These are the Kings that were over Israel before the division started. It started with Saul. Bad King. Then it went to David. Great King. 
Uh, sorry, Ishbosheth. I forgot about him. Oh yeah, he has a, a bad king, but yeah. he's he's like he's he, it's son questionable. The son of Saul. Yeah, it's questionable whether he was ever king. Yeah, that's true. That's why it's in black and not blue in my list. Oh, there you go. Uh, I stole this list. Just infoplease.com talk gives me it. So <laughs> just so you know, boom. Uh, David, great king, great king. Yeah, interesting. Oh, for sure. I think David's okay. Yeah, Solomon. Um, okay, well, hold on. So let's let's reverse here for a second. So the David thing is where it comes up, right? I think David is a better king than a person. And so, because um, you see, the, okay. you see the big moral failings of David. Um, a, we're told that he's a man after God's own heart because even in his like massive failings, which are which are massive, um, he repents and turns to God. None of his failings, though, are leading the people of Israel away from worship of Yahweh. That's fair. All of his failings. Are so, here, so here's the thing I think is important to even highlight. As we're working through this list, Rachel, you're already seeing some of the adjustments we're making based upon the conversations we've had over the last year. Yep. Um, so, because even in some of these conversations where this initially brought up, where we started talking about the way they end versus the way they start, right? That was where, that's kind of what she alluded to. Mm-hmm. That's where our conversation shifted a bit. That's where we started reevaluating some of the rankings of the kings. Um, and so I hope that at the end of the day, this is answering your question a little bit, because it, it, it is, it shapes the way we understand and value the the legacy of kings, so to speak. And I think Ezekiel 33 is influencing, it just it reveals the depth of which we're processing and translating and understanding. And, and these are Evan and Isaac rankings. These are not like oh, yeah. biblical rankings, just an FYI. So, yeah, these are very open-handed. Yeah, and I would agree with you that I think David is a better king or a better person, a better king than a person. Right. Anyways, okay, so you say great king. Right. Okay, Solomon. I would say bad king. Bad king. And this is, I think... At the start of the year, we would have said good king. Um, Turn bad. Yeah. But no, I think... I think the dumb we, king. <laughs> I think when you look at the the legacy of Solomon, his major legacy is that he brought idol worship back into... I shouldn't say back because I'm sure it was still there, but it, it's... But he, he created opportunities for yes. more idol... Like he opened the door for more worship of anything else besides Yahweh. Yeah. And he, he opened the door. And he wrote three books of the Bible and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Yes. Um, he was a very so, wise king. And you can say even... And I think he does have... But in his wisdom, he was ignorant. <laughs> yes. And I think he also does have a... Um, this will come up when we talk about a certain king of Israel. I think that he has a uh, a redemption arc as a person. And you can see a lot of that in Ecclesiastes. And yes, so, I would agree. And so his legacy as... A biblical author and his legacy as a thinker, I think, is much more nuanced. And I think you could even say it's good there. But as far as what he did as king, I would say he was a bad king. Okay. Ray of Owen. Oh, the worst. Not the worst, <laughs> but he's very bad. He's, he's right there by Manasseh. He's, yeah, he's and not. And just so clarity, this is when, during Rehoboam's reign afterwards, this is when the kingdom is divided. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then kings of Judah, we're going to shift to Judah first. Boom. Because Judah has good kings, bad kings. Yeah, that's true. Israel has all bad kings and then Manasseh. Right. Rehoboam, who's the first king? Right. Oh, bad. Yeah, bad king. Abijah or Abijam uh, or Abia. Uh, I, uh, Son of Rehoboam. Yeah, bad king. Asa. Good king. Jehoshaphat. Which is funny because every time I think of Asa, just a side note, mm-hmm. my immediate thought is like, oh, that's a bad king. But then I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's Ahaz. Anyways. Oh, yeah. No, Asa. <laughs> I get them confused sometimes. Asa and Jehoshaphat are both good kings. They're a father son duo. Um, and those are the ones where like they have. They have more serious failures, I guess, than you could say with with Hezekiah and and Josiah. Where, but they also have really high highs. So I yes. want to be careful that we don't like make them out to be like, oh, they're just terrible. Like, no, yeah. they're they're really good kings. Well, and it's funny because even in our rankings, sometimes we evaluate. Well, it's works based, right? What do they do that was good? What do they do that was bad? Do they cancel each other out? Like, we got to be careful with that a little bit. But well, and again, we're, remember we're uh, we're not we're not ranking them as people here. We're ranking them as yes. as kings. Accurate. Okay, so uh, I said Jehoshaphat, Jehoram. Jehoram, I don't remember. Or Joam, son of Jehoshaphat, I don't remember husband of Athalia. Much about him. I'm, I'll just say, I don't think he was an exceptionally bad king. No, I don't think he was bad, but he wasn't He wasn't like the best. Middle road. We'll yeah. say, we'll say, he's we'll not say a, good. He's not a memorable king to me. Yeah. Ah- Ahaziah. Bad king. Athalia, daughter bad. of king of Ahab. Uh, oh, bad. Yeah, bad. Joash. Joash. Or Jehoash, son of Ahaziah. I don't remember Joash. Dang it. So these are middle, middle of the pack kings. Yeah, they're right? not like the worst. Uh, Amaziah. I think he was an okay king. I don't think he was anything to write home about. Which Again, is, this is Judah. Yeah. What's the other king? What's Uzziah? Uzziah what's, is was, that, a, was a son of Amaziah. Oh, okay. Okay. So, I, I, yeah. So, yeah. He was, he was, he was a, a okay king. Uzziah was a good king. Yeah. yeah. Uzziah. Yeah. Uzziah. Amaziah was, a, was an okay king. Yeah. Uh, Jotham. He was a, he was a pretty good king. Ahaz. Ahaz bad. <laughs> Hezekiah, who we just talked about. Yeah. Great king. Manasseh. Manasseh is, Okay. Manasseh's the worst, and he he's, and he's in the northern kingdom, I by believe, the way, or southern kingdom, yeah, by the way. He's I, in Judah. I believe he is the only king of Judah, or at the very least, the first one who actually does the full Molech 
child sacrificing worship. Um, and so this is where, okay, so as a king, the worst, just yes, absolutely. I don't, no question, he is the worst king of Judah. As a person, he has a redemption arc that kills me on the inside because <laughs> I just want to hate Manasseh. Um, but he does seemingly repent towards the end and, mm. and realize kind of the error of his ways. Um, but yeah, as a king, he definitely, he not only leads the people of Israel um, away from worship of Yahweh, he leads them into uh, just horrid apostasy. So yeah. not great. Ammon. Ammon, bad king. Uh, and I would say he, he's in line with his dad, but he just dies so quickly. So you don't it's really true. get to know. Josiah. Josiah, great, great king. king. Possibly the greatest king yes. of all of them. Yeah, I would say, and I would agree with this, Josiah David would be my my top two. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jehoiakim. Oh, sorry, Jehoahaz. Uh, bad king. Jehoiakim. Bad king. Jehoiachin. Bad king. Zedekiah. Uh, he's worse than the other ones because he usurped the throne as well, but yep. also bad king. So that, and, and what I should have done in hindsight, I realized this, I should have put the kings side by side. So you see them in parallel with Israel, but all of Israel. Oh, that's fine. All of Israel. I mean, Israel's Jer- easy. Jeroboam. Bad. Nadab. Bad. Basha. Bad. Elah. Bad. Zimri. Bad. Omri. Bad. Ahab. Uh, so Ahab is the one that I thought was interesting. Husband of Jezebel. Yep. Ahab is, uh, he is described as the worst king of Israel. So biblically, I think we need to stick by that. Yeah. Right. So he's the worst. Um, I do not think it's crazy to think that we will meet Ahab one day in heaven. And so, and that's where I think this is where it huh. is really interesting. I think his redemption. We've never talked about this before. Have we not? I thought we did. No, we talked about I don't think we did, dude. I think his repentance at the end is legitimate. And I think it's legitimate specifically because what does God do? He actually relents a little bit, not fully. He's mm-hmm. like, no, like you're still going to die and like disaster is going to come, but I'm going to let it not happen while you're there. Um, and so I, I really, I shouldn't say I really do think this is very open-handed, um, but I think it's a real possibility that Ahab comes back to trusting faith in Yahweh at the end. So again, as a king, really bad king, yeah, bad. Hor- horrible king. Um, but this, and this is where it gets complicated. As a, as a man, I think he does have a moment at the end where he kind of realizes what he's done. And I think the, the primary sin of Ahab is that he's weak. Um, because his, his wife, Jezebel is, is the worst. Yep. Um, and he kind of allows, um, her worst excesses to go completely unchecked. And as a result, they become his worst excess excesses as well. So yep. that's my thoughts on Ahab. Yeah. Those are interesting thoughts for sure. Yep. And, and it's, and yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll recap all of it at the end. Cause I think that's, this is part of the fun of it for me. Um, then you've got after Ahab, you've got Ahaziah. Bad king. Jehoram. Bad. Jehoah, Jehu. Uh, bottom of the bad because he's got he's yeah he's the one with um oh my god jezreel right that's the king who yeah yeah jehu's the one who mm-hmm. kills the son yeah so he, he, worst you know what yeah he's in that bottom he's in the bottom <laughs> tier category jehoaz jehoaz bad jehoash bad jeboram the second so this is a weird one um bad so I, I should be clear bad king because he leads the people away from yahweh but the, i always talk about jeroboam the second as if you open a history book he would actually be one of the great kings of Israel because yes. he leads this really prosperous time. Yep. Um, but again, it, it's Sol- Solomon, right? He's a very Solomon-like figure to me, except he doesn't have any redeeming qualities as far as worship of Yahweh goes. But he leads this really prosperous time. Um, but at the same time, he leads the people away from worship of Yahweh, which ultimately is going to lead to their uh, destruction. Yep. Zechariah. Bad. Shalom. Bad. Menahem. Bad. Menahem. Pekahiah. Bad. Pika. I forgot how many, <laughs> just kidding, forgot how many like random kings there are of Israel because yep. they reign for so short. Yep. Pika's bad and Hosea. And bad, yeah. And, and that would be the end because he would be the one that would be overthrown by the Assyrians under Sargon. Yep. Uh, so I say all that to say, like, I, I wanted to actually break it down. I didn't prep Evan for this. I didn't even let him know I wanted to do that. Um, that was fun, though. Because here's the thing. At the end of the day, we the way we base the, our values on kingship will change and morph over time. Like even as you're talking about Ahab, the redemptive arc, I think those things matter. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of what Ezekiel is alluding to a little bit, which helps give context because at the end of the day, it's grace, right? And this is this is the new covenant. This is the the gospel that we've been given in Jesus is as we evaluate people and even even God alludes to it in Ezekiel that the the works don't determine the eternal. They influence or they, they're a reflection of, let me be clear about that. That's a reflection of grace given, right? Um, so even in light of these kings, like there's redemptive arcs. And and I, I don't know if you've ever, I've ever heard you say, and which is why I stopped, is like, huh, we never talked about this, but those Ahab filter, mm-hmm. like, will we see him in eternity one day? Maybe. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of these guys in eternity because we don't always have every recorded moment. Like at the end of the day, 
when we rank the kings, we base it upon what do they do in obedient and leading God's people to be obedient and stay in, in true worship to the one true God and God alone. And the majority of humanity is bad <laughs> because we worship other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's not even necessarily idols, right? But it's, I think I saw this uh, put out there by, was maybe John Bevere, he put a little screenshot, like idol worship is not the worship of things. It's a worship of anything that takes a higher priority or place than God. Right. And, and so I think there's a layer of tension here. And, um, but I think as we continue to evolve and understand and grow in our, or maybe not evolve is the right word, but as we continue to mature and understanding of, of the gospel and God's word and his standards and who he is, it's going to change our evaluation of people and change our evaluation of history and kings. Um, but there are some very clear indicators and maybe in future episodes, cause I'm sure we'll get back to the rankings in the next year when we read through the Kings and Chronicles again. It's become a staple. Uh, but point. almost becoming like, maybe we provide clarity. This is how we would rank a King. This is what we're basing this ranking off of because there is the nuance of personal redemptive arc, personal, uh, obedience filter versus leadership filter, uh, as a King of, of Israel or Judah. Uh, but I think all that to say, to answer the question very simply, this is my thought and then I'll hand it to you and let you share your thoughts at all. Um, but I think absolutely the fact that God is very clear in Ezekiel about the righteous person is not going to live based upon their righteousness and the wicked person is not going to be live. And this is referring to eternity. It's not referring just to even now, mm-hmm. but they're not going to live in eternity based upon their wickedness. It's based upon how they respond in the midst of their sin. Because the one thing they both had in common in this passage is sin. When they sin, the day of sin, um, how do they respond? Oh, I, I, I've been a great person. That's not going to save them. It's the repentance and the redemption of, of Christ and the acceptance of that. So, um, so I think, yeah, it influences. I think it changes a little bit. And I think even as we discussed and ran through that list, that gauntlet of a list, uh, it kind of helped allow us to see some of that adjustment and filtering too. So, Well, I think that's the theme you see with like, and I think we, we both agree the two greatest kings of of any of the Kings are uh, David and Josiah. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing that we see with both, when David is confronted with sin, what does he do? He repents. Um, And Josiah, he doesn't have that big failure at the end, but he does have a big failure at the beginning. Because remember when he's King um, for the first 10 years of, of him being King there, the law is forgotten and it had been forgotten before, but the, the people are not worshiping Yahweh. And then when the priest finds the law and brings it to Josiah, what does he do? He repents yep. and he, and he leads the people back into yep. it. So yeah, you're right. It's not, um, the way that clearly the Lord looks at the Kings. And I would say the way that the Lord looks at us as well is it's not this idea that like, oh, did you ever sin? But it's when you sin, what is your response? Yeah. So, and when you realize your sin, what is your response? Absolutely. Yes. So good question. I thought it was fun no, to answer. Really fun. Uh, so thanks for sending in Rachel and thanks for being patient with us. I, yeah. I feel bad that it stayed in the mailbag for so long, but I also kind of like, like you said, it, this is a really good time to open it yeah. up because it's the last time we're really talking about any of the Kings. Yeah. For, and it was, yeah, it was a good, it was a good time to add a good segue from the discussion that we just had in Isaiah. Uh, so it was, it was very fitting and very timely too. So great question. All right. Well, that does wrap it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church, under the media tab. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to financially contribute to the ministry that The Grove Church does, you can also do that on our website. We have a give button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day and Merry Christmas.